Creative Carbon Scotland, like many charities and NGOs across the UK and Europe, seems to share its history with the community arts movement which prospered for approximately 20 years from the 1960s to late 1980s. The charity is an intermediary between organisations and artists aiming to ensure that cultural and creative organisations have a significant influencing power to help shape a sustainable Scotland for the 21st century. When first researching Creative Carbon Scotland, I was struck by the volume of quality information they had available on their website, but was confused by how their environmental agenda practically linked to artist projects and businesses initiatives. My name is Madeline Jordan and I have been working with Creative Carbon Scotland as a student from Edinburgh College of Art on recording the Denburn project. I, along with other creators, filmmaker Josh Bircham from Pick Digital Media and collaborating project musician Simon Gall, will be producing documentary work available on both Creative Carbon Scotland's and SEPA's websites. In the next 20 or so minutes, I'll be speaking to the key members of the Denburn project with the hopes that through understanding how this type of collaborative process works, it can inspire further iterations amongst other communities, bodies and businesses. I'll be talking to Gemma Lawrence, the Culture Shift producer at Creative Carbon Scotland, Simon Gall, musician and public engagement officer, Rebecca DeVivo, the engagement and communications officer for the Scottish Environment Protection Agency's Flooding Communications and Customer Service team, and Dr Leslie Mabin, a reader in environment and society from Robert Gordon University, Aberdeen. shift producer for Creative Carbon Scotland. This role developed in 2015-16. At an earlier stage we hosted a series of residencies and events which were beginning to explore the role of artists and their artworks and their practices in addressing climate change. The Culture Shift programme has evolved out of that to really think about how culture can play an influencing role more widely in society and Right now we're very focused on developing and supporting projects where artists are working in collaboration with non-arts partners with a specific focus on sustainability and climate change related issues. Yeah, so my name is Rebecca DeVivo and I'm an Engagement and Communications Officer at the Scottish Environment Protection Agency. Um, I work within our flooding communications and customer services team. Okay. Yeah, my name's Simon Gall, um, and on this project, I think I am probably considered the creative lead of some kind, workshop leader, um, but it's been my job to kind of devise the activity based on the briefs um, given by Creative Carbon Scotland and SEPA, um, and to communicate through some kind of creative activity um, SEPA's messages um, in relation to flooding. My understanding is that SEPA went to Creative Carbon Scotland asking for um, some support with uh, this kind of new approach they were taking to community engagement and Creative Carbon Scotland came to me. 
My name is Dr. Leslie Maben. I'm a reader in Environment Society at Robert Gordon University in Aberdeen. I'm very interested in the social and cultural aspects of climate change adaptation. I've done some various bits of work before with Creative Carbon Scotland and with Adaptation Scotland and various organisations like that. And I've always been very impressed and I've thought a lot about the, the importance of arts within, within climate change. And so based on this work, I've become involved in the project at Denburn and some of the other things which are going on around climate adaptation in Aberdeen and, and Scotland more widely. and trying to sort of systematically understand and assess the added value that an arts-based approach can bring. Well, so the, the project itself um, is funded through SEPA's Research and Development Fund. And when I applied for that, it was looking at um, how our, our team, our flooding communications and customer services team, how we can, um, I guess, better communicate in a way that enables behavior change. So it wasn't specifically looking at a creative approach. Initially, it was just about um, trying to assess and evaluate the current approaches that we've been taking and then trying something new. I think the main thing I was interested in, not not so much creating something as a result, it was using an artist to be the, the vehicle for that and, and to facilitate um, the discussions and the engagement work with the public. SIPA came with the idea that they wanted to engage the community in um, just sort of raising awareness around flooding and flood preparedness more generally. Hmm. Um, so those were the kind of key points. Uh, those were the, that was really the brief. Part of the workshops was to go out on this quite long walk down the burn. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was walking up to the top or to a sort of starting point of the burn where there's been a um, relatively recent flood protection scheme put in, which was effectively sort of wetlands that's been opened up to allow for more water to gather when there's extreme rainfall um, and to slow the water then further downstream. Um, and to then walk down the burn and at different points stop and talk about not only what we see but actually what we hear because there's been these different interventions, whether they're recent or in the past, which both inhibit or allow for the river to, to be slowed at certain points. I think it started out just being interested in applying a creative approach. It wasn't necessarily deciding that we wanted to do song outright. Um, but I think it was through um, Gemma's experience working with Simon up in Aberdeen already that they had that good relationship. Well, the activity with the children um, was really kind of based around two, uh, two songs. The first one was one that I wrote myself after walking the burn a few times, um, but certainly once, possibly twice, with one of Aberdeen City Council's flood officers who was pointing out all the new infrastructure and all the different points of interest, etc. Um, <clears throat> um, and I, I wrote a song uh, based around those points of interest, um, tried to make the information that he gave me a little bit less uh, uh, well, use a little bit less jargon and a little bit less academic and make it much more uh, palatable and, and, and friendly and accessible. Um, and the idea was, with that song, was that we would do the same walk with the children and we would stop at the same points and we would learn a verse, uh, the, the verse that kind of corresponded to that particular point. And we'd, you know, we'd sing through it a few times and then we'd walk on to the next point um, uh, and do the same thing. But in between points, we were asking them to record samples and sounds uh, of the burn. Uh, the idea being that they, they engage another sense 
Um, um, and I think when you're trying to get familiar with something, engaging more than just one or two senses is definitely a good idea. One thing I've really liked um, that Simon has done is before we've actually done any engagement work, he's gone to the group to consult them. So he went to the school, he asked them um, if they like music, what kind of songs they like, um, if they know about the burn, which was the area that we were focusing on. And all of that information is really key to, to know before you actually, because then you can tailor your message, you can tailor exactly. the yeah. activity that you're doing to suit that group. And so and in the end, we kind of collated all their samples and we together in the class created a, a soundscape. Um, they over the top of the soundscape they sang the finished song after learning all the you know the verses that corresponded to all the different points um and that was kind of one i suppose 50 percent of the project um the second was writing with the children what's called a memory song and the idea was that we're looking at flood preparedness and the idea of uh, the concept of the flood kit the flood emergency kit and the kinds of things that you might want to go you might want to put in your kit so we use the Scottish Flood Forums website, they have lots of useful information on what might go in a kit, etc. And I knew that if I left it wide open to come up with a kind of melody and a structure for a memory song, we would really get bogged down and take forever. So I, I used the, the kind of melody and structure of a memory song called The Ratlin Bog, and we sang it to them, sang it with them. We really enjoyed the original, and then together we rewrote it. We sort of discarded the words and wrote our own uh, words to the same tune and to the same form. This memory song would be something that they could use to, if they ever forgot in the future, to remind themselves what should be in the in the flood kit and to teach to others. And just a fun way to, to basically remember what is actually quite a dull list of things. <laughs> um, the way that they picked up the information as well is really impressive. And we went up to do it a talk with them prior to Simon's engagement as well so it, I think Simon found that quite useful to just make sure that everybody was on the same level in terms of understanding flooding. One of the problems we have sometimes with sort of more classical ways of engaging is that uh, people sometimes if you bring experts along it immediately creates a hierarchy it immediately creates a divide between experts and the public and people sometimes feel scared to challenge or, or ask questions but getting getting some of these arts practitioners and i use arts in a very sort of holistic sense there to be music dance you know storytelling theater all these things as well as as, as art works because the great thing about getting arts and artists involved is it just creates a very different dynamic for discussion uh, the Fernalee children are primary six so they're i guess maybe 10 or 11 um and we're probably going to end up creating um and songs and rhymes etc for the children that will be kind of imbued with this um this with the messages that SIPA are trying to communicate but in a kind of fun and not not super didactic way but in a kind of fun and subtle way the important part of this as well is it wasn't only about writing and singing the songs it was about the discussion in between as well you know so we would talk about what would you want in your flood kit? Um, here are some things on the list, uh, the Scottish Flood Forum, and we'd get lots of different suggestions and people would di pick different ones out and we'd ask, well, why would you take that and why would you not take that? So the quality of kind of discussion was important as well. And I think and I hope that the kind of really quite odd circumstances in which they learned this information will, I hope, um, stick in their minds 
as well as the fact that they've got a couple of songs that they know and sing as a class and, and still use a good month on, thankfully, mm-hmm. and they're going to be presenting at this biodiversity event as part of the, the Climate Action Week in the northeast. At the moment, SIPA tends to go out to schools and we have activities that we do with them, um, specifically around flooding. So we have um, like photo boards to have them identify risks and hazards and we have a big um, map of like a town that we put on the ground and they put the flood hazards down on, on the map. So it, it kind of gets them to think about um, particular hazards in their area. So if we have to think about what the big takeaway message from the project is, I would probably say that we need to get beyond thinking about art as just being about communicating the science and engineering. Rather, it's a way of engaging people, bringing people involved, and getting people on board in a way that goes beyond them just being a, a passive audience. Mm-hmm. Someone like Simon is really good for that because Paul's team by his own mission is not a scientist by training. He uh, understands really well the, the kind of logic and he's able to explain that in a way that is very engaging. I think it's probably about knowing how to communicate with the group that you're working with. I mean, I've spent, I've spent quite a lot of time working in prisons and, uh, and people, with people with drugs and alcohol uh, issues, but also in more affluent areas. And you, you, you slowly get to understand how to, how to work the group, how to communicate with the group and get the best out of them. And I think that's probably it more than, you know, can you play the piano really well and can you sing super amazingly um, or, or can you paint or whatever it is amazingly. Can, it, can you actually deal with groups of people? Um, and 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 find ways to compromise when there's differences of opinions and um, can you do all these things? Have you got all these social skills and kind of community development skills, social work skills, youth work skills that are really important? Um, and the, and the creative stuff on top is is the bonus. It's the sugar. It's the icing on the cake sort of thing. I I'm hopeful that with the information um, we're able to share that as widely as possible and share it with. Our flooding partners who would also be doing this type of work with the communities and, and show this as a viable approach for them. If we were thinking about why it is that some of this transdisciplinary practice is um, is maybe not as widespread as it should be, I think the ways in which funding and finances are allocated within in universities, the ways in which academics' career structures are, are organised and progressed, aren't always geared up towards experimentation. And I think it's especially difficult in the arts and the humanities, maybe in the more qualitative ends of the, the social sciences, where the ways in which we, we, we maybe bring benefit to society aren't necessarily as, as clear-cut and as quantified as they might be for the, the science and technology, the engineering, the mathematics, the, the natural sciences. You know, I, I do think that um, things that are perhaps less quantifiable and maybe less immediately tangible can be harder to to, to sort of convince a, a university or a funder of, of its values. So that, that's why I think, as I say, we need our, our universities, we need our funders and ultimately you know, our, our governments to be a bit braver when they're in when they're thinking about what, what the value of this kind of transdisciplinary work is. There's always debates at the panels around these words, excellence and quality, and all these kind of, you know, all these um, ways of describing uh, activity. And I think 
a lot of people don't get that the you know the, the output of something funded by Creative Scotland, for example. Um, well, how do I, how do I put this? Um, I think people are reluctant to recognise often um, that the the process can be quality or or excellent or of excellence, um, right. and the output itself doesn't you know doesn't doesn't in, in fact doesn't, in many cases doesn't even matter. It's not that's not the point of the activity. I think a lot of people can't get their head around that. I think what we'd also really hope, and that the embedded artist model sort of advocates for, is that engaging communities is one thing that artists and this isn't all artists, but some artists can do very well, um, but that there should also be a, an opportunity for those artists to contribute to the work more directly of, say, SIPA. is not just a sort of purely outward, public-facing thing, but actually I think it would be really interesting to think about how we can develop the work like we're doing in Aberdeen so that others can take it on and, and use it in their own communities. I guess what I'd like to see is that when it comes to maybe some of the more formalised governance, decision-making and planning processes, both at a local and the national level, I'd like to see more space for some of these narrative accounts and stories to, to be considered, even if we're not necessarily drawing concrete findings and conclusions, at least just having spaces for these stories and narratives to stand on their own alongside some of the more technical and scientific assessments and measurements. To be fair, I think in Scotland we're actually quite good at that. If you look at the current drafts of the Climate Change Adaptation Programme, there's a big emphasis on climate justice. If you look at places like, um, not, not just Aberdeen, but also Glasgow, Aberdeenshire, when you talk to local governments, they're very aware of the fact that some people in society are more susceptible to harm than others, and that it's not necessarily easy to know the factors that, that inform these, these, these different levels of vulnerability. And there's a real awareness, I think, to maybe listening and talking to, to, to social scientists that perhaps come with a more qualitative narrative approach. So I suppose what I'd like to see is maybe just continuing on the track we're on and hopefully setting Scotland as, a, as an exemplar, as a world leader in, in bringing these different knowledge systems together. I think what we'd be seeking is a, a change in our all of our perspectives around how current work like this takes place and how it could be done differently mm -hmm. and how using a creative, cultural, artistic approach could help to contribute towards that. I mean, I hope, I hope that a few things happen with with the, the kind of the project and the idea and not, not necessarily the message, but I'm hoping, for example, that I've argued for a long time that I think that you could teach just about any subject in the curriculum through music and song. I do think it made an impact on both the teacher and the, and the students, the, the, the pupils. Organisations like Creative Carbon Scotland, I think, are really good at doing this. They're spoken about very positively everywhere. You know, you've got people like Ben and Gemma and their colleagues who are able to have these conversations across sectors. And I think if we can just keep doing that in Scotland, we'll be doing very well indeed. Within Creative Carbon Scotland, we talk about eventually working ourselves out of a job that we shouldn't necessarily need to exist in the future as much as we're sure there are you know other areas that we can place our attention but that they shouldn't necessarily be on the same areas and that through doing our work we should be able to inspire and encourage others to take this on and for it to become more part of the DNA of organisations like SEPA.
By raising the profile of this type of small-scale work, hopefully we can start to appreciate the benefit of environmental outreach schemes, which apply creative methods to achieve a variety of outcomes. Because ultimately the process demonstrated in the Denburn project offers an alternative to more traditional approaches often taken by environmental bodies, and with any luck will excite other bodies to adopt this form of creative outreach.